Hi. Hi, is this Carolyn? Yeah, James. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, letting me schedule this call with you. This is the story of our typeface casserole. All fonts have a story. They were all designed by someone. Casserole is an interpretation of another typeface that you might be familiar with, DaVita. Imagine a sans alphabet, low contrast, that make everything pretty rectilinear. You know, not quite square, but not fully geometric. Then add some serifs. Not slab serifs like you'd typically see on a low contrast structure like that, but just sharp little bracketed serifs. Then, and here's the kicker, put ball terminals on nearly every single glyph. That's Davida, the brainchild of Louis Minot, a designer that we'll learn more about later. Davida is one of those typefaces that once you start noticing, you just see it everywhere. Cookbooks, signage, record sleeves, Mexican restaurants, Mediterranean restaurants, Ethiopian restaurants, Thai, I don't care. The sign is set in Davida and it looks magnificent. Our version started small, just as a set of capitals. Then, for some reason, we couldn't stop. Flair, the sands, the script, the black letter, even the Lombardic capitals were drawn. But I was curious about the origins. All I knew was that DeVita was Louis Minot's only released typeface, but why did he stop there? What else did he do? Where was he from? Who was this guy with an unbridled love for the ball terminal? There had to be more to the story, so I did what anyone would do. I internet stalked his granddaughter Carolyn to try and get to the bottom of it. This is that phone call. Today's episode is a special one, and it makes me wonder, what happens to our fonts after we die? Well, I guess the first place to start is that the, the font was named Avita after my dad, David. Oh, okay, that's so cool to know. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I'm sorry. He died of COVID. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's, thank you. Um, but yeah, this I'm trying. I'm trying to look at this as a way to honor them both. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it was named for my dad. Yeah. And and funnily, even though um, it, it's just called Davida in my family, we always refer to it as Davida Bolt. Uh-huh. Even though the bold is only one version, it's just right. It was always to be the bold. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. But um, <laughs> so it's like really funny when people call it Davida because I, it takes my brain a second. I'm like, wait, you mean Davida bold? Like, I don't know if my grandfather called it Davida bold or if that's just like what my mom and dad called it. But you guys would talk about it. Oh yeah, all the time. Because it's everywhere, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> You're totally, totally right. It has stood the test of time. Yeah, um, and that was actually like really painful for him. So I don't, I, I don't think most people know the story. But so he entered a contest uh-huh. um, and he won a thousand dollars and lost the rights. So we have never seen any sort of um, royalties uh-huh. at all. Uh, yeah, so he felt really robbed, um, and it made him bitter, and he. So, I, I, you know, for him, seeing Davida in the world was kind of a constant reminder of a failure. You know, like he couldn't really see the success because all he could see was how, how if he had perhaps held on to it and found a different way to publish it, you know, it would have provided for our family in a much, in a substantial way. Right. Which is not what it did. Right. And in contrast, my dad loved it. You know, like he would take pictures of it. Uh-huh. I would take we would like text each other pictures when we'd see them. I lived in Portland for uh, just over two years, and it's like everywhere <laughs> in Portland for some reason. And so, like, I text him pictures, and he was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" Because you know, for him, he was removed enough from the that aspect of it you know for him it's just like this thing that's out there in the world that, sh- that shares my name and uh-huh. is, is our family legacy 
I was shocked to learn about how Cian DeVita was a reminder of a sour business deal for Lewis. But the person that the font was named for had a totally different interpretation of it. Louis Minot opened his design studio in 1945, and the contest to which he submitted happened 20 years later. A lot can happen in 20 years. Carolyn started to talk about growing up in a creative family, and I learned that Louis and myself had some significant things in common, you know, in addition to working on quirky display funds. What was it like for you growing up with a grandfather that had this really creative career you know and there was no one really uh creative in my family so it just kind of felt weird no no no. i mean creativity is like all around us in different ways but no one was was working in like the graphic arts for instance in my family or any kind of field related to the arts so when i went to art school it was kind of like weird in the family you know but for you i would imagine that might be a little different different yeah very different um actually both of my grandfathers were uh professional artists so um i was i was surrounded by it um for from birth Mm -hmm. um and i so i i grew up in valley stream uh in the house that my dad grew up in in the house that my grandfather my grandpa lou helped design Uh um my, my grandfather, like, was really big on family, mm-hmm. um, especially, like, extended family. There were a lot of cousins. He was one of six. Oh, really? Children. Yeah, big family. Um, I'm one of six, too. That's funny. That is funny. Wow. I'm one of one, so I can't <laughs> even really wrap my brain around it. <laughs> um, Do you know where, one, where in the lineup of six he was? I think he was in the middle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely wasn't a baby. That was my aunt Fran. Okay, they're all gone. There's no none of them are left. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so um, he he like built our whole basement. Our basement was finished by him and my dad and my uncle. And there's like an upstairs room that they also did. It's all like wood paneled and stuff. And they have these like crazy seventies lights that like still work. They're <laughs> so, like pink and yellow and. It's it's uh it's it's kind of a blast from the past. Um, uh-huh. And like they would have these cousins get-togethers down there. They had like a pool table. They sound like they were fun. Um, by the time I was born, they were not fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> really, much less fun. Um, yeah, my my grandfather um, was not super healthy uh-huh. by the end of his life, and uh-huh. neither was my grandmother. She has COPD. Uh-huh. and emphysema and I'm pretty sure that he had a stroke and uh, that was the point where they moved to Florida and um, we went to see them we saw them twice a year so in the beginning they would come up once a year and we would go down once a year and then as my grandmother's condition got worse we went down twice a year um, but yeah it was he so I guess the part of having him as a grandparent that um where where the graphic design background really came into play is that he would send me these cards that were um they're they're called rebus it's uh-huh. a, i don't know if you heard of it it's a form of like code where basically you use pictures yeah. instead of words uh-huh. so like you draw an eyeball uh, or he, he draw a deer and then he write my name yeah, yeah yeah totally i know what you're talking about so, like, he, he, almost every card, he loved card making. That was, like, and it's funny because I also love card making. Oh, me too. Me too. I'm big on that. Isn't it great? I, I, it's, like, so much nicer to hand make someone a card than it is to buy them one. Totally. You know? So he, and I think, like, that's, that's part of the family tradition from him. Did you and, save, you know, did you save stuff. any of his cards to you? Yes, I did. And I can, uh, they're at my parents' house, but I can, um, I thought, actually, it's funny, uh, about, God, it must be three or four years ago now. It feels like, I wanted to say a year ago, but, like, that's because of pandemic brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, a year ago, prior to the pandemic, so, like, three or four, I found this old wooden box in my basement. My basement is kind of, like, where things go to die. <laughs> so, it's just, like, boxes and boxes of, like, dead people shit that we still have to go through. Yeah. My friends. No and I found I found this this one box and it was like 
all of these cars my grandfather had made for my grandmother for like their anniversaries and for birthdays oh my gosh yeah so i can i'm pretty sure i know where it is and i can take some pictures of that and email them to you for sure oh that Um, that would be so cool he was a silversmith that's um another that was like a hobby so we have a couple of his pieces uh, there's one really beautiful candy dish that he made that's really elegant. Uh, it looks kind of like a, there's like a crown supporting the dish. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, and, that's um, so cool. Yeah, he made, he made jewelry. He dabbled in jewelry. He, I'm pretty sure he made me like a pendant that has my initials. Mm-hmm. And there are these things, these like long pods that um, are like bean pods. They are in Florida and they just like fall off the trees. Mm-hmm. And when I was really, really young, he carved my name and so on. Because I think that when it dries, it's like a rattle. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're like, they look kind of like vanilla bean pods if you like size them up by right. 10 times. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, there is, I mean, text was was always a big part of our our life in that sense. So Lewis Minot was a graphic designer, one of six kids interested in making cards, making things for other people, different crafts, even some light woodworking and DIY projects. And in my head, I'm thinking, dang, we're the same person. But then Carolyn shared with me some of the pitfalls of being harsh on others and getting a little bit burned by the type industry. I realize I have a very different perspective on the business. Basically, the internet has made a way for small creators like myself to retain the rights to all our work. It's never been necessary to partner with a manufacturer because there's nothing physical to manufacture anymore. I realize that Lewis and I are maybe not the same person after all. But there, there was this precedent for like a real focus on craft in your family. Uh, yeah, my grandfather was very precise. He was uh, meticulous. He was precise. He he had to have things a certain way. He was very fastidious. He had like insane attention to detail. He was big on seeing faults. Uh huh. He was a critical guy, kind of. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He would, he he could be very critical. Um, yeah. But he yeah. still he still had a sweet side and would kind of like make you stuff. Yeah, he did. It. I think that as he got older um, and as I got older, that shifted a little. And I think that that was, you know, because that they were sick and that my grandmother was like on oxygen twenty hours a day, and um, you know there was the sweetness, but it was kind of tinged uh-huh. with a little bit of bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I understand. Um, do you, th- do you think he was totally like burned by the type design profession because of his experience with kind of getting ripped off in this way? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that he founded his own design firm and I'm not sure if that was before or after the contest, uh-huh. um, but he, he founded it with two other men. And um, they were all Jewish, and they all had very Jewish-sounding last names, and they weren't getting much business at all, so uh-huh. they all changed their names. So actually, my family name was Minowitz. Oh. Yeah, and all the other Minots in, the, in America are black. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah, so, so um, yeah, my grandfather, he waited until his father died, because uh, he didn't want to, like hurt him, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, it was hurting business really significantly, and so they all changed their names. Did they Did they see that work for them, in a way? Absolutely. It was, there was, like, an immediate... I, I think what happened is one of them changed first, and he started to get more clients, and he talked to the other two, and he was like, listen. Oh, boy. This is crazy. Uh, you know, if we want to succeed, this is something that we just have to do. Yeah. And... You know, they, they saw, they saw it. There were, there were tangible results and they were like, well, that's that. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we have new names now. So if we're looking to see design work credited to your grandfather, it, it could possibly be under the name of Louis Minowitz. Minowitz. Yeah, it's possible. 
possible. You know, I never even thought about that. It was M-I-N-O-W-I-T-Z. Uh-huh. In case you want to look. It's always just been such a um, a weird thing in the the history of this font is that it's by a designer that didn't do any other fonts. And he did. He did two other fonts. Oh, he did? Yeah, they're called Lumina and Rumina. Lumina and Rumina. I don't know what they look like. My mom told me about them. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I mean, he he hand-lettered, you know, he was a graphic designer before there were computers. Uh-huh. So everything was hand-lettered. Um, and, like, he hand-lettered all our, our cards and stuff. And there were, you know, like, the font that he normally used that was, like, his main font was not DeVita. Yeah. And I, I wonder if possibly that font was one of the other two, either Lumina or Rumina. Ah, interesting. Um, so you think he was a, primarily a graphic designer or primarily a yeah. lettering artist, or he did kind of both? I mean, what's the difference? I think a lettering artist would be someone who's just like only doing lettering, like drawn lettering things <laughs> that then could get like assembled kind of and, and put into... Um, layouts and stuff by a graphic designer you know what i mean no i think he did layouts too okay i think i don't think it was just um i don't think it was just the letters i think that he did design like logos possibly uh-huh uh-huh and things like that um again i'm i'm not 100 sure okay wow lewis minowitz who would have thought also lumina and rumina if anyone has any information about these two typefaces, I'd love to know. Google searches don't really turn up anything, but, you know, to be honest, I'm not a real sophisticated type researcher. I think it would be so funny if we looked it up and they were just slight variations of DeVita, but the ball terminals were just bigger or something. Carolyn mentioned that Lewis had in his basement a bar and a model train setup and some pocket doors that he had made. Obviously, I think that's awesome, but now I had a good handle on his hobbies, and I was curious to know more about him personally and his son, David. That's when Carolyn shared a pretty sad story. Would you say that your dad had a good relationship with his father? Yes, and no. Um, so my dad was in a really severe car accident when he was 17, uh-huh. 18. Uh, he had only been at college for a semester. Um, he was in Colorado, Denver, and he came home, and uh, it was it's the early 60s, so I, I don't know if they had seatbelts or if he just wasn't wearing his, but uh, the car he was in, he was in the front passenger seat, and he went through the windshield and shattered all the bones in his last life, I believe. Oh my and, God. Um, yeah, he was, um, he didn't go back to college. He, he came home and stayed home. Um, he was in recovery for, I think, over a year. Uh-huh. And um, the, they tried to sue the kid whose car it was, but they didn't have any money either. And so my grandmother ended up having to take a second job and um, my grandfather blamed my dad for the accident. Oh. So it was hard. I, you know, my my dad loved my grandfather unconditionally. Uh huh. And I, I, I didn't see. You know, a lot of what I know of that is secondhand or things that, you know, like. It's not like I ever heard my grandfather say to my father, this was your fault. Right. But, um, but my mom did. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that their relationship was fraught for a while. Mm -hmm. My dad is the eldest. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's it's hard, you know, when you're a teenager, you, you don't always pick up on the nuances yeah. of relationships. Yeah, but I, it, it sounds like that could have been like a permanent kind of scar on their relationship. I think it definitely was. I think that my dad 
really wanted his approval. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure how much of it he got. I know uh-huh. that um, my grandparents were like really against the idea of my parents having me. Um, they thought that my dad was just like not going to be able to handle it because of, I mean, he was permanently handicapped by the accident. Uh-huh. He had multiple um, knee and hip replacements, but by the time I was like 10, he was walking with a cane, and by the time I was probably 15, he was in a motorized scooter for a lot of the time. Uh-huh. So his mobility issues were not um, not to be scoffed at, Yeah. But you know, they also didn't in any way impede him from being an incredible father. So you had a great relationship with your dad. Yeah, I had a really great relationship with my dad. Yeah, it sounds like it. I love him so much. Yeah. Oh. I'm sorry. No, it's 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 totally okay. You know, my um. My wife uh, lost her dad also to COVID um, in December of last year or a year ago, and um, it was it was a really hard thing. Yeah, I'm so sorry, but you get it. <laughs> that means you get it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Please, um, please send my condolences to her. Oh yeah. Um, well, it's it's kind of crazy because I all I knew about your grandfather was just this typeface and this one picture that's available of him on Flickr and I can get you pictures if you like pictures. I, I can get you. I I totally would, but like yeah. the the thing is like and he's like smiling and he looks like such a sweet guy in the in the picture and. The reality is he he had a sweet side, but he was also a flawed human being, just like we all are, you know? Yeah. And yeah, he was. And I, I, think, I think one of the places that my dad and I really butted heads was um, my dad first had the mentality that, like, family was over everything, no matter what they've done. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I don't feel that way um and you know in the years since my grandfather's died i've been through a lot of therapy and i've explored a lot of instances of his emotional dysregulation and how that affected me as a young child and some of the trauma that he caused Mm -hmm. and ultimately you know i i didn't have the most positive opinion of him and it really upset my dad Uh It would really upset my dad when I spoke ill of my grandparents because Uh he refused to acknowledge that part of them. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, that was hard because, um, you know, it felt like he was refusing to acknowledge my lived experience Mm. and and choosing them over me, even though they were gone. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um... You know, I, I think he felt deeply indebted to them. You know, they they took care of him after the accident. Mm-hmm. And even though there was not necessarily much emotional care there, you know, they, they nursed him back to health. Uh-huh. And then he went on to have a very successful career as a computer engineer. And, mm-hmm. you know, they sold him the house and... I wish that I could have seen more of the good things because my mom says, you know, they they said to me my whole life, we wish you could have known them when they were younger. They loved to travel. They were happy a lot more of the time. Uh You know, like they were fun. They danced. and, And, you know, by the time I was born, they were not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. To what extent is our love for family members conditional? We like to think we love unconditionally, but everyone has rules. For me personally, family is like the most important thing. But I guess loving a family member and approving of them 
are two unrelated things. Hey, isn't this a type design podcast? What the heck, man? In my talk with Carolyn, there was this lingering question developing of how our work ages. I've kind of been of the mindset that when I die, our fonts will die too. 50 years from now, if I make it that long, people will certainly be using different typefaces. But look where we are right now. It's 2023 and we're still using a ton of typefaces based on ideas that came way before. Will people be doing revivals of Ono fonts? Will our output survive the next major technical transition? Are we creating classics or are we just a flash in the pan? I have zero answers, but I do know this. DeVita was sick in 1966 and it's still sick 57 years later. Or does any of this even really matter? Should we try our best to protect our work and our legacy? Or is it more important just to be a good grandfather to your granddaughter? Probably the latter. But in any case, we'll keep seeing DeVita for a long time to come. It's one of the weirdest things about this industry um, is that the, the things that we make will outlive us, you know, and um, if, yeah. if they kind of have something about them, um, th- they'll just kind of keep on getting used and keep on surviving each leap in technology, you know, like even though the, the digital versions of DeVita aren't great um they're not like perfect you know hopefully we're going to do the best davita inspired um digital typeface that's you know been done that will be available um you know there's not like the versions you sent me by the way oh thanks i'm yeah i think that the whole thing that we're trying to do is to kind of just like carry that idea all the way and and see what else it can do. Like no one ever even did uh, additional weights of Davida, which is really crazy, you know. That's funny that we call it Davida bold and there are no other weights. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> I mean, it's I I spend so much time thinking of like these really lofty uh, visions for typefaces that have all of these dozens of styles or whatever. But every once in a while, if you just kind of get the proportions right and the weight right and the sort of like thing for which it's intended really right, then you don't need all that stuff. And it's just like as a single style typeface, it'll just continue to be used like no one's gonna stop using it anytime soon i saw i think the funniest example of davida bold in the wild i've ever seen was in portland in the bookstore that uh is modeled after the one in portlandia or vice versa Uh that one (laughs) Um, there was a cunt coloring book and the word cunt was done in Davida Bold. And he would, have, he would have rolled over in his grave. He was like, it wasn't prude, but I, I don't think that that was really his vision. <laughs> For the font. It just tickled me. I, I was so tickled by it because it was, it was such a, like, a bizarre juxtaposition of like this man I knew who was a little bit rigid and like, you know, not, I never heard him wherever I don't think uh-huh. I mean he also he, he was a, he was fluent in Yiddish uh-huh. so I think that when he, he reserved his cursing for Yiddish uh-huh. he and my mom would fight in Yiddish so I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what they were saying but um, but it was just it was hilarious to me that um, you know like like you said the way that things outlive us and how they take on a life of their own and and become so much more than right. their creators could ever have imagined. Yeah, and when and when you're releasing type like that, I mean, you're just putting a, a like a raw material out into the world, and and people are gonna, you have no control. It's crazy. I think that maybe was part of it too. You know, to him, the the he was kind of control freak. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like the the seeing it everywhere, it was this double edged 
sort of pain where it was like, oh, look at my failure. And also they're using it for like windows, uh-huh. you know, like just to advertise. You know, I, just, I think that I, I wonder if perhaps some of his bitterness was seeing it appropriated in ways that he might not have considered appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, I I know type designers like that, and I'm personally not like that. You know, I I love that you release type and it is not your thing anymore. I think that's like how a lot of art actually works. But the the people I know that have a harder time swallowing that, um, it's just a continuous fight for them. And I actually now we we see the other problem where when you're releasing digital files you know they just get stolen and passed around so much and that can be a really um painful thing for for certain designers but i kind of choose to just let bygones be bygones and i think if people are going to steal they're going to steal and i'll just try and pay attention to the people that know know the real value of it and and do want to pay you know what i mean Absolutely. I think that's the healthiest outlook you could possibly have. Well, maybe there's a, a, a cautionary tale here with your grandfather where, I don't know, like, do you ever think that you wish he had a kind of dis- different perspective on it or he could kind of like see the forest for the trees more with with his relationship to Davida, but also... I don't know, maybe other stuff in his life? Yeah, no, I wish that he could see the forest for the trees more all the time. That was, that was, that was like, you hit the nail on the head. That was a very recurrent theme, is that I think that he, 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 he didn't have, he, he could be very single-minded, and uh-huh. he could get kind of locked on to feelings, and I think it was difficult for him. It was difficult for my father, too. I think emotions uh, on that side of the family were not a thing that was super acceptable. They were, I, you know, I remember him saying to me, like, you know, I was a pretty emotional kid. I've already cried, well, three times during this conversation, so nothing's changed. <laughs> but I remember him saying, like, you need to grow a thicker skin. And, um, mm. you know, like, I kind of, I see it kind of as like a fuck you, Grandpa Lou. I didn't. And you know what? I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, that you know that yeah, I think that he 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 was very singular minded, like yeah. I said, and I I do wish I wish that he could have you know because like I've I've come to divorce like I remember being younger when I was really bitter about my relationship with him and seeing it felt pretty to me too it was it wasn't a reminder of his failure as an artist it was a reminder of his failure as a grandfather mm. and it was ta- you know like it was this thing that taunted me it was it was everywhere i went and then eventually i i decided to reframe it and you know i i decided to say this is a celebration of my dad this is the embodiment of my grandfather's love for my father living oh. in this world yeah rent free you know everywhere yeah. i turn and and that's that's a legacy that my kids are gonna see yeah even though they won't ever get to meet either of them uh-huh yeah so, you know i i'm i'm working through the generational trauma that they find <laughs> best i can <laughs> <laughs> That's that's all we can do. I mean, I'm I'm so glad that you're able to reframe it because that's that actually sounds really hard to do. It was. It took years. It took a good couple of years, and I think that my dad dying definitely accelerated that process. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was already like pretty okay with it. Um, I think for different reasons. I think it was still kind of like a fuck you grandpa like uh-huh. uh you know oh you know look, look at this spot everywhere and, and you'd be so mad that it's here but i'm i'm happy that it's here yeah because you wouldn't be but now it's i'm happy that it's here because because it's a piece of my family legacy mm-hmm. whether or not he got the credit he deserved but you're so right i mean it was done out of love for your dad or, or at least named out of love for your dad, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I can't speak to his 
motivations about making the font, but you know, for for you to name it after your son, I, I want to believe that 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 was about his love. You yeah, Carolyn, I gotta say, I've. I got way more honest information from you than I ever could have hoped. That was all, um, I mean, just thank you so much for being just completely raw and honest with me, who's, you know, a total stranger to you. I appreciate it so much. You're welcome. I, you know, I talked to my mom about it and, um, I was kind of on the fence about how, how much I was going to tell you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, I, I get to choose now what, yeah. what, what the future looks like. And I think that the future looks honest. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, thank you for giving me an opportunity to, to tell you about, about a side of my family that's almost completely gone. I was honestly very anxious about this conversation. <laughs> um, and it was, I don't know why because this was great fun and um, yeah no thank you so much for reaching out and um, giving giving me an opportunity to be a part of the second life of this this song huge huge thank you to Carolyn Minot for her help with this interview it was something she really did not need to do and just did out of the kindness of her heart so thank you Carolyn now we're not done to really make this the casserole episode, we of course need to hear from the designers that worked on the project. The way things have been going for us lately is I tend to start the typefaces. That's the fun part for me, to dream up all the possibilities of what a typeface could be, express that in the uppercase, lowercase, figures, some punctuation, maybe a few accents, and then pass it off to either Jamie Otelsberg, our studio admin, that's probably doing more type production work than anything else at this point, and of course, Colin Ford, the Ono type director that sometimes asks me questions, but for the most part, is more qualified than I am to make decisions. I'm really just mostly TikToking these days. Anyhow, we all talk in the mornings about what we have going on, so this time I just hit record and ask them a few questions about their involvement on casserole. I don't know. Maybe we could start with the name. Do you remember those conversations on yeah. Slack? Yeah, I was writing them down. Oh, I forgot to look at <laughs> You were that. writing them down? No, no. I was I, I was going back through just now, and I was writing down what we had talked about. Oh, yeah. What did, we, what did you find? We talked about like a bunch of dumb names first that kind of didn't fit the, like... I, th- I think the... Um, the unspoken motto of Ono is uh, doing thing stupid things uh, seriously. <laughs> so I think we were coming up with some like dumb names that didn't really work. Kind of like Davida, D U H, D U H, Davida, Davida. Stupid. Um. You really like Segunda Vida. Yeah. And then yeah. we were riffing on like La Vida, Ravida, Vivida. Mm. And then we were um, we were kind of thinking that we shouldn't be playing into the sort of Mexican stereotype that Davida has. Um, right. Yeah. So this is like my experience with it is that it's so much a Mexican restaurant font to the point that I thought its origins were Mexican or Spanish or something. Yeah. Turns um, out not. <laughs> and uh, Totally I not. Was, I was like doing this like uh, reverse appropriation kind of thing that was just a bad idea all around. Yeah. To a certain extent, it's kind of like a chop suey font for Mexican restaurants. Okay, so yeah, but it's also all kinds of restaurants, you know? It's, yeah. it's I don't know if it's more heavily weighted in Mexican restaurants or it's just more Mexican restaurants where I grew up. Like, that's the most common type of restaurant. Um, but yeah, we definitely didn't want to play into that after all, even though we went down that road for 
an embarrassingly long amount of time or I did. Yeah. And then we started, um, as you had your conversation with Carolyn, you were talking about the family aspect of it and how that was really important to you. So we were thinking like maybe Minata or uh, Louisa for Louis Minot, um, kind of playing into that. Uh, but that wasn't sitting quite right, uh, either. Right. Yeah. It, it, it was more about Carolyn's dad was, was the thing. So we kind of explored other things related to David too. But, um, yeah, ultimately I think we just went a completely different direction, more about I don't know. At some point, we started talking about like taste and flavor and food. Yeah, right? yeah. I asked. Uh, we were getting into this like dead end, and I was asking you, "What do you kind of want it to be used for?" And you were kind of like totally like beer packaging or yeah. uh, other food packaging, and I was like, "Okay, yeah. maybe we'll go with like a food sort of direction." And I was totally hitting a dead end with that as well. Because either it was something that was still playing into the Mexican thing that wasn't right. true, um, or I was tr- having trouble coming up with any other name. And then one day on Slack, you were just like, I got it. It's casserole. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you typed it in all caps. <laughs> you were like, this is the one. I got it. And we were like, yeah, that works. It it was one of those things where sometimes I'm looking for feedback and other times I'm so exhausted that I'm like, you know what, no more. not not looking for feedback anymore. Like, love and respect all of you, but um, I don't want to search for an available name for this project anymore. You know, it's like, when is a project done? When you're sick of working on it, then it's done. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so then, then it became Casserole, which was available. No fonts to speak of named Casserole. Thank yeah. God. It, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, so, I guess I was like kind of wondering what Casserole uh, means to other people. And, you know, they have different types of Casseroles different in, in different places obviously in the mm-hmm. midwest they have hot dish which is like a a kind of branch of the casserole family maybe <laughs> but i was thinking of it like rice chicken broccoli cream of mushroom soup casserole i think that would be the most popular one at at my house growing up this um, the sort of casseroles that are solely photographed with like a a, a yellow tint yeah, to yeah, them yeah. in like <laughs> Exactly. 1970s um uh photography cookbook photography where exactly. all the like there's like hot dogs laid on top of the like <laughs> cheese on the casserole and stuff yeah that's the sort of casserole that i'm thinking of when yeah. i'm working on this yeah there, there's like six ingredients but they're all just various shades of yellow like there's there's nothing or hardly anything green in there or if it is it's it's buried in sour cream and craft the only cheese. green thing is the dish that is like a pea green, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. <laughs> Pyrex dish. Yeah, I mean, that was like casserole. My mom also made one called more casserole, which was like macaroni, cheddar cheese, hamburger, maybe taco seasoning and, <laughs> and uh, something like that. But um it was called more casserole because you always wanted more of it. <laughs> it was like, and I loved it. And we ate so much food like that, like food for a ton of people, super inexpensive to make or, mm-hmm. you know, as, as kind of the most like volume for your food dollar yeah. as possible. But That's always how we like grew bringing up. family together. And Lots of like people. point. Yeah. And just like random neighborhood kids too. And um I don't know. We always ate around the table growing up too. Like that was kind of an every night thing for us, I feel like. 
in my memory, it couldn't have been every night because I just now know as a parent, like that's maybe not super realistic. And there was a 16 year span in, in the kids in our family. But Jamie, did you all eat around the table growing up? Nope. I mean, we did. No? We did. We did. I shouldn't say that. We did. But um, I think everybody was kind of on different schedules because we have such a wide range of ages in my family. Yeah. So, yeah, some of us were there. Some of us weren't. My parents were quite uh, hardworking late into the evening sometimes. So we uh, had, a, you know, the TV dinners sometimes and mm, quick stuff. Top uh, ramen. Oh, yeah. Chicken McNuggets. Yeah. We did have a casserole oh, dish that we had regularly, though. We called it special. And that was the, it's like literally a family recipe. I don't know how far it goes back, but it's always been called special. And everybody in it? my family eats it. It's essentially like a lasagna. I mean, what is the difference actually between a lasagna and a casserole? I actually, except for, I don't know, it's kind, it can be considered a casserole, but it's basically like, you know, Tomato sauce, cheese, hamburger meat, noodles, all baked together. Lots of cheese on top. Yeah. Yeah. God, what is the difference between a lasagna and a... Sure, sure there's uh, a, a Italian people listening right now just, like, losing their minds. I think we're <laughs> igniting, like, a, a, a is a hot dog a sandwich sort right. of debate. Squares and rectangles. Yeah, I got you. Um Jamie, what should, let's, uh, we have to start talking about fonts here at some point. Uh, what shape were the fonts in? I can't even remember when you started doing production work on it. Well, I actually didn't remember much either. So I ended up going through our GitHub repo and looking at all the commits and seeing like, oh my gosh, the timeline of what we did. And that was actually quite entertaining to read through all that. Um, it was almost a year ago, I think, that we, you and I were working on it. Colin's been working on it, like, since then. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, like, basically when I got into it, there was a full character set of the classic. So um, full character set meaning um, all of the letters and figures and a little bit of punctuation. So I got in there and I started mm -hmm. making accents and punctuation and, like, the... Uh, decomposed characters that lie outside of those things. Um, the H bar, the D crote, the A E O E, etc. All that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh -huh. And when you say decompose, what is what does decompose mean? Um, meaning when we we usually run our we run glyph construction on our fonts to What is what is glyph construction? <laughs> You got to start from the bottom, Jamie. Um, we open up RoboFont. No, uh, we basically create our accented characters using a plugin called Glyph Construction. So we draw our accents and we draw our letters and all of those things. And then Glyph Construction matches them up with the use of anchors, things like that. So um, there are certain characters that we don't, we can't create that way. Um, or we decompose and then create them again in a more artistic yeah. way. Uh, and we have a set of those characters. We tend to do those after we do the regular character set. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of something that you told me in the very beginning of our working together was to internalize, like in it, having an internal shape memory for these decomposed characters, because this is something that um, I was going to be doing a lot of, and you were right. I do do a lot of that. Yeah, and decompose, just to be painfully clear on this, it just means taking the base glyph that's a part of this new glyph that we're creating and changing it from a reference to the base glyph into actual editable outlines, basically. It's, it's sort of like glyph leftovers. You know, you're taking parts of glyphs and yeah. then kind of mashing them back up together for the next <laughs> next glyph. Ah, <laughs> uh, bringing it back bringing to bringing it food back metaphor. to casserole. I like yeah. that. Nice. Good job, Colin. Okay. So how is how is your developing your shape internal shape library in your head been with these um, these sorts of glyphs? I think it's going really well, and I think that the whole casserole family was like a a boot camp. For this, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. I had to like push my skills outward in many different directions, and you know, yeah. 
you dames were going quite fast. You were just like busting through all these other styles. It would be like, you know, we worked on classic and then you're like sans, flair, you know, blacklist, <laughs> script, lombardic. And then I, so I was following behind you as you were like going through these uh, character sets and I was working on the accents, the decomposed characters, the um, punctuation. So I had to keep like, um, yeah, just pushing my, my limits, I guess, with my skills. And so that was really, really fun. Um, and that's basically what I did. I went through and, and worked on those things, basically on all of them until we got to Lombardic. And then I actually had to draw some characters. Like, I think I, I drew a, right. a bunch of different U's and V's. <clears throat> yeah. I got to draw more in Lombardic and I'm pretty sure most of them have been like redrawn, but that doesn't matter because I got to draw <laughs> and I got to draw a lot of different things. And uh, I think maybe some of my um, drawings made it into the process article. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty I'm sure stoked on that. Well, the Lombardic was one that was just like, what are these answers going to be? Yeah. Like each glyph required a, a lot of different tries to kind of get it right. And there was no real reference that was going to get us close enough. So... Yeah. We had to just kind of go about it the hard way. And it was it was painful, but it's like a puzzle, too. Yeah, and we, tried, also... we tried for a while thinking of, like, a lowercase for the Lombardic. And right. then we were like, what does that even look like? Because traditionally, <laughs> Lombardic is just capitals. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what would a lowercase... Lombardic interpretation of DeVita, which itself does not have a lowercase. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're, we're just like, let's, um, you know, let's maybe let's cut our losses and make the Lombardic just in all caps. <laughs> I did like three letters of it and I wasn't real sold. It, it didn't look especially convincing. I love the idea of having there be like this parallelism in the family, like, all the styles have an uppercase and a lowercase and this kind of set of punctuation. So you can kind of like expect that as you're going through the family. But ultimately you have to draw a line somewhere with all of these decisions or else a project will just literally go on forever and uh, it'll never see the light of day. So even though we lost that parallelism in the family, there's at least a release date for... <laughs> for everything you know like it it at least gets finished in the end um and jamie you kerned the fonts right right i kerned all of them um originally so imagine like um how challenging that would have been so i just had basically started learning um you know your style of kerning you trained me up on that which was great and can you imagine being like like your training ground for kerning being davida black letter davida script i mean so it was a very good <laughs> exercise <laughs> on every level yeah. but it was i think like needless to say most of that kerning was uh you know redone by colin um but i did learn a lot of stuff on this uh colin what shape were the fonts in when you got them well this is sort of the last font that you guys had mostly completed by the time i had gotten to them because uh, i only had joined in uh june um but the the character sets were mostly done jamie had done a good job with all the glyphs and sort of what my job is is kind of like a mechanic to come in and kind of to go through the checklist of what what these fonts need to kind of be completed and um but still at some certain points i'd be looking at one area of the typeface and then looking at like the lombardic e and being like that doesn't look (laughs) quite right so then we had to go back and like um like maybe make a new e and uh um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then and then start you know pick up where we left off ha- after that intermission and and stuff so is i'm kind of in this capacity with this this last font um 
kind of a impartial outside <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, observer in some way with, with this font so trying to see what um, is is like kind of working with it and then um, bringing it to completion um, thankfully none of these forms need to interpolate we're not making like a, a, a casserole light or a casserole <laughs> extra black or anything so that makes it a little bit easier uh, on, on me um, but then, yeah, I, I did, um, a little bit of extra kerning and, and stuff. And, um, a dear listener, when, when we talk about kerning, you can kind of see James's soul leave his body. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, but it, it is, it is, for me, it is an important part of, of, um, me finishing a font, but, uh, it's important to do it well, but also as quickly as possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, I've, listen, I've, I've done my share of kerning and, um, I think it's a, it's a lot of work for relatively little gain. I don't know. Like my whole obsession is realized effort, you know, or, or bang for your buck or, or however you want to say it. And turning when you're turning the the euro to a yen or something like pair that does not exist, or, like it's really easy to kind of fall into that trap where you're like in turning mode and you just start turning everything and then it, then it takes forever. So that's yeah. what I don't but, do. But your approach to kerning, I think, is very helpful. And you do use kernon, the, the glyphs. Um, yeah, we use uh, kernon, which is a glyphs plugin by just another foundry and a lot of people say that it is a auto kerner which would mean that it would just you know take your font and, uh, and kern it for you but i i really see it more as as a kerning assistant where if you don't know what you're doing when you're kerning you can really quickly get into a place with this plugin that will kind of turn your font into something that you didn't want or expect it, it, it and then you can also wind up with like i think the most i've found is like thirty-two thousand kerning pairs grouped kerning pairs and which is way more than anybody wants or needs so you know it's a computer it doesn't know so um like any any tool uh, you need to kind of learn how to use it um, in the way that you want it to work and not let the tool force you into the way that it wants it to work, really. Mm-hmm. Um, which is an idea, um, you know, from uh, Eric and, and used the, the idea of a, um, a tool space where you, your ideas should exist outside of the tool space, outside of the um the extent to which tools can make your ideas possible and not allow the tools to kind of dictate your ideas of what you want to do right uh so that's the approach that i take to it um and um you know i came from uh h&co which had a very developed method to kerning and kind of when i told you about it 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 kind of (laughs) i could see your hat like fly off uh it's uh it's without getting into the details because talking about kerning on a podcast is like (laughs) dance really dancing about architecture Uh, (laughs) but it involves like classifying the shapes of a typeface and then working on pairs and descending levels of of um difficulty and i think that process really informs a methodic way of of working with kerning that results in a typeface that um does service to the design and not and enhances the design and not like is just like an add-on or a a perk i think Mm -hmm. um okay i think we've talked about kerning enough i can go on (laughs) 
What do you... My personal feeling is like that this is one of the best projects we've done. Like it's definitely one of the silliest, but I am really proud of it for some reason, which I don't always feel like I think I'm, I'm proud of our library in general, but by the end of working on a project, I don't know, maybe because I just didn't do the production work on this as much. Um, I have a kind of different relation to it. Like I'm not burnt out on it right now. And I'm kind of working on the videos and all this kind of marketing push around it right now. Yeah, you but do, you like do your little TikToks. We'll take care of all the, <laughs> the big boy stuff. <laughs> exactly. Ow. Exactly, dude. It's what, it's what you hired me for. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I don't know. What's your relationship to seeing this stuff go out in the world? Or, or what do you think, Jamie? Like, when uh, will you care when you see casserole? in use oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be so happy to see casserole in use because i've seen davida in use my whole life and um it's just kind of really interesting to be a part of like the continuation of this family i mean i know it's a new font family it's all new but it's like rooted in the history and you know i also grew up in california and i saw uh davida in many many places uh around San Fernando Valley and also in India, where I lived for 15 years, I would also see Davida there. So it's just sort of ubiquitous. Dude, and I'm yeah. just really happy to be a part of like this new um, evolution of it, I guess. And I'll be really happy to see it out there. You know, when you started saying this stuff, uh, it it sounds like you're almost sarcastic, but I know you and, and you are genuine about this stuff. Like, it's really true. Yeah. I mean, you're like, okay, let's, let's be straight up here. You are an Ono uh, employee essentially. And, uh, but you're not really obligated to say that you care about these things, but you do, you genuinely do. I do. What can I say? I care. I care a lot. But I have to say, um, okay. contrary to your uh, feeling on it, after where I love display type and I'm like, yeah, this looks like the best project ever. And I had so much fun with all these different versions. But towards the end of it, I was like, oh, maybe we could do something a little bit more standard hey, for a little while. If, if you're not <laughs> feeling that way at the end of the project, I don't think you, uh, you pushed yourself enough on it, probably. So that's, that's a good sign. Colin? Final yeah. thoughts about your work on casserole? What do you want the world to know? <laughs> well, we, you and I always talk about this, where if we make a typeface that is sort of like an homage to a famous typeface, like when you did with like Hobo, you, you're, you're kind of like, well, these people love using Hobo. Why they're just going to go get ahead and replace it with <laughs> my version and everything will be so much better. And I think a lot of people, when they're do making typefaces like this, they will, uh, they, they think that's going to happen. Like suddenly all the packages that were kind of using the old version of DeVita will, you know, update their designs and, and, and use casserole. But that's, we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, also, I don't think it's, it's, better it's no just no but my like a my point is that we're adding to like the the legacy of this typeface right we're we're adding to the story of this to kind of continue it on to like another generation and we just we're doing this out of sheer appreciation for it and like how how much we really liked davida and what we what a different tone that we can take with it um right. and like how can we push it to its limits and i think it's not going to replace the original davida by any means but it will kind of expand the story the expanded right. davida universe uh, <laughs> by adding casserole <laughs> the cinematic universe <laughs> it's so uh it's so necessary you know um yeah, I I think that's a a nice thought. Like it's it's not a, a replacement. It's just adding another kind of chapter to the story and also um what a a financially 
bad idea this typeface was, you know, for for what it will bring to our company in terms of revenue and what it costs our company in terms of labor. <laughs> oh, it will, it's going to even out. When people hear this, they are going to run, not walk, to the um, Ono uh, shopping cart checkout page and uh, buy a million licenses. I think what's more likely is that even the people that listen to this podcast, which are like, let's face it, probably mostly type designers, I would guess, or, or people somehow related to type design, hopefully graphic designers too in there, but. And maybe I, our mothers. I, my mom actually does. The other day she was like, you know what? Sometimes I do listen to your podcast. I was like, what? Why? She was so sweet, though. She's like, oh, it's just nice to hear your voice. And I was like, oh, mom, that's really that's really sweet. Um, but I think even our crowd of listeners is like, God, these people really spend too much time on this. I don't know. We, we will... Uh, We'll see. It should be surprising, and things have definitely surprised me before. Like the success of something like Ekman Psych, you know, which is kind of, when I was adding a lowercase to that, I was like, oh, I don't know, is this really worth the effort? People use it sometimes, but in general, the typeface has sold more than I expected. Typeface uh -huh. DJ Steve, Jer Jeremy Landis, like that type, people buy that typeface, and it looks freaking insane it was just kind of the right thing at the right time i think but um we have no idea what these things will do everything is a hail mary to some extent and only time will tell but i am very grateful to the both of you for all your work in this typeface and just being behind these ideas when they come up you know like let's do the most expansive like respectful version of Davida that we can do and you're both like let's rock let's yeah. do it <laughs> absolutely i mean that's that's nice and, and to think about creating open type features for the sixth style in this font and you're like okay i still have the energy to put my all into this and to do a good job so thank you you're welcome did we have a choice <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again to Carolyn Minot, Louis Minot, David Minot. Casserole couldn't exist without you. Thank you to Jamie Otelsberg and Colin Ford. Also, Lynn Barber, our business manager that suffered many a conversation about trying to figure out a name. Casserole is available on our website today. That's at onotype.co. We are on Instagram, TikTok, you know the deal. Music is by Wolfpeck. All the music. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, for one week, the coupon code is CREAM OF MUSHROOM SOUP. That's all caps without spaces for 30% off casserole. Thanks for listening. See you next time.